On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kumar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with SET-D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome back to Raising Rare. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Today we are speaking with Dylan Loomis-Head, a young man who has been diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia. He's also been a vocal advocate for addressing the mental health issues such a diagnosis can bring. There's been a lot of research in FA over the past few years, and Dylan is going to share his experience dealing with those new developments as they are announced. But let me ask about uh, Raghav. We haven't heard from you for a while. Sanath. Yeah, Raga was hospitalized um, for cold. Um, he was in the hospital for uh, 12 days, which is longer than his typical hospital stay. Um, but finally, he's back home and happy. That's great news. And how's Evie doing? Pretty good. We are hanging in there. We had a few difficult days. We got through that, but we did find out some exciting news a few weeks ago. As you know, we've been trying to get into either Boston Children's or Cleveland Clinic for the glycogen storage disease program. And we found out that we got into the Cleveland Clinic program at the end of August. So we are celebrating that this week. More good news. Yes. I'm so glad to hear that. A little bit of certainty out in the the later months of the summer would be really welcome, wouldn't they? Yes, very reassuring. Dylan, can you can you tell us more about yourself without mentioning FA? We want to know Dylan first. Uh, sure. I've been thinking of this question a lot, honestly, with all the news coming out with treatments and whatnot. Um. I am someone who's all heart. I wear it down my sleeve. I'm very vocal and passionate about the things that I care about and think about. And when I'm in a rut, I guess I'm number one to not the number one person I go to to figure out what's going on with myself. I'm very vocal about asking for help and knowing when I need to get it or when the best time is for me to get it. That's me. I mean, I could go into a thousand different directions. What are you interested in doing? Um, that, that that's a good that's a good question. It changed. Um, I think I'm mainly my main hobby or thing that is interesting to me is I'm very much detail-oriented, so I like to watch movies and watch TV shows and read books and read 
and watch kind of in between the lines to figure out, oh, there's a bigger message or, oh, there's more detail that it's kind of hidden within and it, it's entertaining to me and it's more connecting to me to be like, oh, this book or this show or this movie has its main topic, but there's so much more to it. it and it, that's what's interesting to me. I've always wanted to act and I've always wanted to be in the entertainment industry and seeing it from this perspective has always brought out a different side of me that I didn't ever think was possible. My wife doesn't like watching movies with me because I'm always looking for those hidden meanings and she just wants to watch the movie. Um, Sonneth, why don't you go next? Dylan, I, I think it's it's very interesting that you started talking about who you are as a person because um, I I think about this a lot uh, of what, what defines my son, right? Um, the disease defines him quite a bit. Um, but when I explain who he is to people, I start by saying he's a charming boy with a happy smile uh, and, and always is, is excited about looking at people, right? Um, and it's very powerful to be able to define us as person and separate them from the disease. Um, and I'm sure it probably was a process for you to get here, right? Like, you know, the, the, the condition is such a big part of your life that, that when people see you, they probably don't see who you are as, as who you define yourself to be. So I'm curious, how did, how did you get there? That's a really um, interesting topic, actually. I, like you, I think about kind of how I'm perceived and who I am and who people want me to be. I've done that my entire life, even before I was diagnosed. And so that that's always been a part of me. And then once the diagnosis is done... It didn't really set in, and it took me a while, and I fully haven't come really to terms with it still. I, I, it's hard for me, <laughs> because I, I understand. understand the disease, and I accept it the disease itself and I know it's happening to me however I'm not accepting the fact that I want to give into it and I want to stop fighting and just let it run its course That that's never going to happen and I have that mentality and that drive that a lot of people in the community kind of push me away from trying to do. And it's frustrating, it's tiring, but I try to just focus on myself, focus on my health, focus on my mental health, and what makes me happy. That made me smile really big, because I think that we all can relate to that we we're all in similar journeys not the exact same one but things come in waves and sometimes we're grieving and sometimes we're happy but at the end of the day we are just trying to be the best version of ourselves and advocate for ourselves and for others in the community so it's really inspiring to hear that about you i'd like to hear how has you know you've talked a little bit about um some of the physical signs and symptoms that you felt or seen or heard, what other impact has FA had on your life as a whole? So, at first, when I was diagnosed, like, we, I, I didn't 
I was a senior in high school when I was diagnosed. And that alone, <laughs> like being a senior in high school is a really pivotal moment in your life. You're trying to figure out where you're going after high school and your graduation party and prom and the yearbook and all this other stuff. And then you throw on kind of a life-altering diagnosis at the age of 18, 17, and the physical aspect, I went downhill fast after I was diagnosed. Like, I went from just thinking that I was the uncoordinated and klutzy kid and then I got the diagnosis, and there was truth to it, what was going on, and it messed with me mentally, and I didn't fully understand that. And so I think on top of the physical aspect, both the mental and emotional aspects kind of were affected in a way to be like I thought I knew who I was my entire life and now it's like what that it didn't make sense to me and I think it still doesn't fully even though I do know the science behind it all and I know how I was diagnosed and all this other stuff, it doesn't fully set well with me because I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> I never wanted this. I, and I say this all the time. I wouldn't even wish this on my worst enemy. Yeah. Uh, no. No, I'm not. I'm... No, I walk with the rollator. Or, like, a walker. And that... That itself has been a challenge, too. Because whether people want to accept it or not, I am still walking. And a lot of the FA community isn't. And a lot of people are underliningly angry and frustrated. And I get it. But walking isn't easy for me. I fell last week, last Friday actually, and hurt my shoulder pretty bad and bruised it up and it's not all sunshines and rainbows it there's a lot of challenges you know when i think about fa i don't think of sunshines and rainbows at all <laughs> um although i do know a lot of people like you who are, are very strong and uh, and good friends with, um, but it yeah it's a it's tough. I know you've gone and been part of a number of clinical trials. I want to know so what motivates you to do that, and what have you learned by being in those trials? Honestly, kind of what motivates me, I guess, to participate in any trial is. I kind of feel and use it kind of as motivation to know that I have an obligation. That I feel that this is how I move forward, research. This is how I do better with my life. And 
the, it's kind of how I it's a hard question and kind of emotional one to be honest I I, I understand Dylan I completely understand and I I am so inspired when you said obligation as the first thing to that to that question um i personally have tried seven different drugs on my son um i saw that the first word that came to me when when kevin asked the question was hope i was always hopeful that one of these treatments are going to quote unquote fix my son right none of them did that um i still am a little bit hopeful that that we will find something that helps him more but it's fascinating that you you thought of this as, as an obligation for for giving back for for the future generations for all of the other um people in the community and it's just so inspiring to think about that has has i'm sure it has but but how has hope played a part in your participation in the trials and and has has that you know transformed from hope to obligation at some point because you sort of saw, saw the um, the, the, the trials and tribulations of, of, of getting new treatments approved. Yeah. So hope in my vocabulary and in my world actually kind of is what I hold on to and is kind of my belief system. Um, I think it kind of all came together and fell into place with how I participated in the Riata Moxie Omev trial back when they were in part two and part three. And then after the trial, we got the promising results we did I believe four years ago and that is when the hope and the spark kind of lit itself and I could see the that kind of expression the light at the end of the tunnel it, it that's where I was like, oh, this is going to work. And this is going to cause snowball effects. And this, we started the game now. And, and it's hard because of the global pandemic. Obviously, that kind of halted everything. And then there's been kind of a couple of few hiccups along the way and it's been hard mentally and emotionally and physically because that figures don't have time they progress drastically and that alone that's one of the hardest realities is to know that you you could do something one day and then go to bed and then not be able to do it the next day. And at, or at least for me, that's how it's been. I can understand how that would feel as a part of your drive and motivation to do what you are doing now, but also probably really impactful on your mental health and just you may want to do something and you may not have the capacity to do it. So you're, you're going through this, you're doing the trials, you have some physical symptoms. What kind of support do you have set up for yourself? Um, that changed. Um, <laughs> a lot has happened within the past couple of months. Um, I have been going to therapy throughout my life on and off, but I 
definitely go to therapy and it worked. And I actually have started journaling the past couple of weeks. And that, I was very much against it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this won't do anything, this. But it actually, it's been helpful tremendously helpful and it's letting me get out my emotions without overreacting or posting something that I do post on like social media or whatever. I don't necessarily feel guilty or bad for what I post because they are genuine reactions. I just some of them are in the moment, and I generally don't want to take the time to fully think about it. I just want to react because it's real. This is my life, and I generally and truthfully want everyone to know the truth because I'm not someone who lies or just doesn't react. I've, I've never been that person. <laughs> and I kind of wish that more people would give therapy a try and not have it labeled as a taboo subject with therapy or with mental health. And I have us that extra support layer with, like, my, my mom and my stepdad and some of my family, not all of them, because it's been hard on them. And I don't think I fully have taken the time to understand it from their perspective. And that hurts me. But at the same time, I think it hurts them knowing that I'm going through all this and they can't do anything. So it's a catch-22. It really is. So I'm glad you brought up therapy and mental health because um, half of the conversations we have on the Raising Red podcast end up becoming uh, an impromptu mental health therapy session. So um, we are we are we are on your side, Dylan. Um, I'm very interested because I've I've been to therapy uh, myself uh, and it has tremendously helped me. Um, and I know people that consider therapy to be a taboo subject and don't even want to use the T word. Um, but for you, when you did go to therapy, right? Um, has how how did how did therapy how did the therapist approach working with you? Uh, and I'm I'm asking mainly because I have this perspective that um, everyone is their unique special snowflake. Uh, but then a therapist that's coming that's trained from whatever their their books are training them to do is is for this normalized person, right? Um, that is probably not who you are with FA, right? The challenges you're facing are very different from the challenges someone else would face. Um, and even the the ability to cope up with some of those challenges may or may not be possible, like physically possible for you. So I'm curious from a therapist standpoint, um, how did they have to tailor therapy for you and how did you have to maybe adjust your expectations to what they can offer? Wow, that's a deep, question um i it's funny because and i say that because i've been to multiple therapists and different therapists and they they're all unique on how they approach their process i guess of how they help people and my therapist that I have now, who I absolutely love, she 
she is a counselor or a therapist, I guess, if you want to classify it. But she she has a chronic illness herself, so she can understand the world from my perspective in the way that I see kind of how the world treats people with disabilities and how harsh of a reality it is and how these people live and what they go through. And that has been something I didn't know I needed to hear and listen to because even after I was diagnosed, I was very against going to therapy. I'm like, nope, I'm dealing with this totally by myself. I'm going to figure it out. And then kind of after seeing Dr. Lynch down at the Children's Hospital and him telling me that it's probably not the best thing to do. I want you to kind of meet the FA community. And so after meeting and talking with a lot of the FA community, I realized, like, oh, one, I'm not alone. Two... I probably think it'd be best to go back into therapy because it brought out a lot of realizations and kind of discomforts that I didn't want to deal with because I had this kind of internal dilemma of being like, I'm not disabled. No, no. I don't classify me as that. Don't label me as that. And that that alone was my acceptance. Was I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is no joke. <laughs> this is really happening, and that that made me help or helped me go back to therapy, and the therapist has really taken time to kind of educate herself and look and understand how F.A. is what it is, what it does, and that I appreciate and applaud and... She didn't have to do that. That wasn't her goal. She did that out of curiosity. And after she did that, she was like, Dylan, I, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know how you're doing this. There is absolutely no mental health research when it comes to F.A. And she's like, let alone any rare disease or chronic illness. And she's like, there's some, but they, it's hard. She's like, because each disease and each chronic illness they all do separate things. They all affect everyone differently. And I think once I understood that she was she was telling me not to mess around with this and kind of be the voice and advocate for it, I was like, oh, I can do that. So, I I might have went a little off, but no, it's great. 
I think you, she, she helped define who you are, uh, who your new self is. And the insight I have from that is the, so therapists are used to dealing with people's mental health, but when there's a physical manifestation that that's progressing on you, it's a different game. It's not just, hey, we're going to fix it by talking through it, unless we, you know, somehow that that physical manifestation goes away, um, which kind of segues, a very awkward segue there. But um, so now there is an approved treatment for Friedrich's ataxia. Um, you mentioned you were in the um, Moxie OMAV trial. That's OMAVLOX alone, um, and it's now called Skyclerus. So, are you going to be taking Skyclerus? Um. So that's a very good question. I I think I fully want to do it. Um. There. There's been a lot of kind of abrupt news that I don't think any of us were expecting when it came to its approved medicine because we were told that it was going to be released like the first week of June. Well, now it's kind of the middle of August of when it's getting released to patients. And I personally was okay with that because I'm doing different trial that I couldn't have been on anyways with Skyclairs and I was heartbroken and devastated and really upset and emotional about it because not for me personally, but for the community, um, I didn't understand why after all of these decades for some of these patients, the drug company is quote unquote having a malfunction in producing the medicine, however, their statement said that they had enough medicine produced anyway for a long time. So, I think a lot of it's confusing right now. I, I honestly have a lot of questions for my doctors and some other people, but... <laughs> I'm trying to learn that I have to figure out what's going to be the best option for me. When it comes to Skyclairs and not worry about what others think if I'm on it or if I'm not on it and just focus on kind of if it's going to help me I'll take it but I have a lot of questions first and I need answers before I take it again I should say that's very good yeah I think I was going to feed in and say the same thing Kevin I think there's one overall arching theme that you're you're so mature and wise in your thinking and just like resourceful. I, I keep thinking to myself, you have all these things in place and, and now how do you manage resetting those expectations with this trial? Are you using those pillars of support, the journaling, the, um, your mom and stepdad? Are you, how are you processing that? Because that is heavy. I mean, you have this to look forward to, and I know that you may not have done the trial with, with the other one that you're participating in, but like you said, I would imagine that was a big mental load to try to process. Um, it, it really was. I honestly hadn't been thinking about it for a while, but as we were approaching the announcement, 
from the FDA on whether they were going to approve it. Sky Claris or Omav back in February, I didn't really ask myself how I was mentally with moving forward, what was going to be my best kind of routine, whether I was going to participate in more drug trials, whether I was going to quit and being like, nope, I helped get OMEV to get approved. I did my job. Um, or if I was going to be like, nah, let's, let's do this again. Let's try to get another medicine to be approved or another therapy or something. And I kind of settled with that no, like notion and that belief that no, I am important. I I I am going to help further research. I'm gonna move forward. I'm gonna push and do what I think's best and. I think it does catch up to me at times to be like, what are you doing? And I catch myself asking myself those kinds of questions. And it is hard. And I think I've tried to journal and talk to therapy in therapy about it, and I've tried to talk to my support system, but ultimately, it's helped to talk about, but ultimately, it's still my choice. And I think I had to mature myself in that mentality of being like, no, you, and like I've been told, I mean, you're an adult, figure it out, but <laughs> for yourself, and that alone has been really challenging because I have this inner voice or my conscience, I guess, being like, well, is this really your best option? And I, I'm not fighting with voices, but I'm fighting with kind of my heart over my brain and that internal dilemma of being like, well, I can think and I know mentally this is what I need to do. But emotionally, it's like, and that's where the heart comes into it. I'm like, well, is this really a question or is it something you're going to do? Wow. So... You take yeah. things to a deep place, Dylan. Oh, oh um, yes. And All you're the questioning. Time. <laughs> when you say questioning between heart and mind, so I'm I'm interpreting that as your brain's telling you, yes, you should take yeah. the new drug. Your your heart's saying, but I can give so much more to the community by being right. in trials. So it to me, it you know, your identity has become the guy in trials. And I, I wonder how way, much, you know, a drug, like releasing you from F.A., does it, does that challenge you somehow in, well, who am I then? Right. <laughs> I mean, F.A. challenged you when you first got it, like, wait, that's not me. But now you say, what if I could control it or, or manage it at least differently? Does it change me again? That, <laughs> that alone, Kevin, has been something that has been 
on my mind 24-7 for at least the past six months. It's like, it is that exact realization. It's, that's what I've been struggling with because I've had, according to the science, I've had FA my entire life. It was dormant for the first 16 years and then kind of just has developed into what it is now. But I'm kind of under the impression and fighting with myself internally and externally of being like, okay, one, I'm glad I didn't fully accept the disease because now they're telling me that there's potential treatments and drugs to either slow it or stop it or fully reverse it. And that alone I'm excited about totally. But now it's like, that's exciting news, but... Who are you without this disease? Like, what's next for my life? And I think I'm very much, um, I like to come up with hypotheses and theories (laughs) about myself and my life and being like, well, How much can I really control? How much can I gain back? How much am I losing? Have I already lost enough? And those are big questions, and they're on my mind, like I said, all the time. (laughs) I, I think that one of the reasons we asked you to be on during May, May is Mental Health Month, is there's a view in the world that, oh, great, we'll get a treatment, we'll fix this, and it'll be gone. And it's pretty clear that it's way more complicated than that. Um, there's another level that people have not um, really wrestled with. And I don't think it's just FA. I think you know, across the spectrum of all our our health concerns, rare or typical. Um, We just don't deal with the, you know, something that's chronic, something that's there, it's part of you, and then you change it. What's life happen? What happens to life after that? So, Sonneth, Brittany, what do you think about that? I have been thinking about this problem, not problem, but this observation uh, for a while now. Um, after after we gave different treatments for my son, taking care of him looked different. Um, he started exhibiting different symptoms that I, I don't think would be the case if he didn't go on those treatments. Um, you can call them side effects. You can call them positive developments because he was on the treatment, right? His emotional state improved. He, he behaved differently. Now that needed more medications to manage because... Um, of what it is, but there was a part of him um, that is just who he is because he has a congenital disease. And then his his personality, he as a person changed with the treatment. And now when I look at him, I used to ask the question, who is this person, right? And that's the same question you are dealing with. Um, but I, I think what perspective I can add is as a, as a, as a, as someone that is closely observing a person with a chronic illness that has taken a medication that has sort of changed themselves over the course of this medication, I personally feel my son is still my son. He has not changed, right? Uh, I'm looking at it from a fixed viewpoint. You're looking at it from a moving viewpoint. For you, Everything is changing outside, looking outside. For me, everything is static looking at you or looking at my son, right? You're still my son. You're still the same person. You're still the same happy person that I like. Now you're doing a few extra things 
Some things I like, some things I don't, but it has not changed his identity. He's still our happy little boy. Uh, and nothing can take that away from us. And so from that point of view, it helped us stay more sane because um, some of the developments that came out after he was on the drug um, were more challenging to handle personally for us and certainly for him because he was going through um, developments that he couldn't control, um, emotionally speaking. And so it started. I started questioning um, all of my investments in drug development. Like, should I even give him any more treatments at this point? Uh, is it going to hurt him, right? Am I going to change him one more time and not know how to manage him any further? Um, but I think regardless of whatever the drug drugs he takes or doesn't take, uh, the path his his life develops, he's still our son, and he's still the person that I love. And I think from that from the point of view of love, um, a self love, I guess, would still would would probably give you that fixed vantage point to look at yourself and and not as a moving target. Thank you for saying that because, as you know, at the top of the show, I mentioned we got into this program, but part of the anxieties that have been keeping me up at night have been exactly what you mentioned is wonderful. We're going to get into this program, but then what is going to happen? You know, we don't really have any drug choices at this point um, with the glycogen storage disease or set D5. But if we did, what would that mean? You know, those challenges or the outlooks may look different positively or negatively. But I think at the end of the day, as you just, you always say so well with your words, like Everly is still Everly. And, and that is the girl that we love and adore. And I will still continue to fight tooth and nail for her, for the rest of the community. But I will also make a conscious well-rounded factual decision on what care we think is best for her but she will always be our sweet Evie girl what you're going through dylan is is just incredibly hard um i i i i have seen you 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 have to deal with two different personas you clearly said heart in the mind um and i am i'm generally the mind at at my home right and my son is is is, is the heart uh, and he's just happy and, and, and smiling and I'm trying to focus on science, but combining them into one person makes this infinitely more complicated. So kudos to you for, for navigating all of that and, and putting your emphasis on mental health. Um, all, all that I could share is, you know, my, as my therapist said, give yourself more grace. You cannot make the perfect choice. Sometimes you cannot make the choice. Screw it. Just make a good choice. We are all happy to be alive. Yeah. It's definitely been a challenge, and I have had this conversation with parents and family members. They can understand it from one perspective, but when there's way too much information (laughs) or it's just overloading. I'm like, part of me is like, now you guys see it from my side and my perspective, but then I'm like, that's not fair to you guys. You guys aren't, you, you don't have to deal with this. And I think a lot of that is kind of, what I'm finding out and discovering now with my mom and my, some of my family members is like, I think people are choosing to take on more than they have to because they feel kind of this weird guilt. And I don't want, anyone to feel guilty like it's not anyone's fault it's biology (laughs) like you it can't be changed yet but soon with gene therapy there's potential and i think it's scary but it's exciting so 
Well, I think you, you've just encapsulated that this isn't a, you know, mental health isn't an individual issue. It's a group issue, whatever the group is, your family, your workplace, your, um, your community. Um, and everybody has a different point of view in it. And you've said it several times, you're going to speak up, you're going to speak up. And I think that's what needs to happen. People need to speak up and say, here's what my viewpoint looks like. I don't know what yours looks like, but I'd like to hear because maybe it'll give me some some help with my viewpoint. Um, so I'm going to, we're running a little short on time and I've, I want to let the listeners know that we're going to continue to talk to Dylan and see how he makes a decision whether to go with this new drug or not and hopefully talk to him later in the summer and find out kind of how he processed that and whatever his decision is. Um, you can tell there's a lot going on in his mind and his heart. So thank you all. This was a great discussion. Yes, thank you for inviting me to participate. I'm glad that I was able to contribute and be heard. <laughs> Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The Set D5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly stories next time on Raising Rare.